Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we, we pray the words we just sang, that we've said to you already. Lord, would you revive us? Would you renew us? Would you restore us? Lord, this morning as we look into your word, as we explore the depths of your truth, would you, would you help us to have greater understanding? Would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear? Lord, I ask that you would anoint me and use me as you will as I preach this morning. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for truth. Lord, we are grateful for Jesus. Help us today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will, um, and if you have a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Corinthians 15, that's where we'll be um, to start today. There's a Bible in the seat ahead of you if you don't have one. Um, it'll also be on the screens. Um, but, um, man, what a great morning we've had already. I, I heard that you couldn't hear all of Claire's story. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to share a little bit of it with you. Claire, you didn't know I was going to do this. Where are you at? I don't know where she is. So anyway, um, um, Claire uh, had emailed me a few weeks ago, and she had had um, some people that had invited her, and she'd been coming to the chapel um, through an invitation of some friends and um, an older couple that lived next door to her. And um, she came, and she emailed me, and she said, talked about taking next steps in her faith. And we began to meet and talk, and she said, I'd like to read you what I wrote, and what she read today is what she wrote. And what she said is, um, I want everyone to know that I, I love Jesus, and I am dead, and my life is now in him, and I want to live for him the rest of my days. Um, I just gave a big summary of it. It was a lot longer than that, and, uh, and I'm so excited about Claire's next step of obedience to the Lord in baptism and what God is going to use her to do. So there you know her story. So let's, I don't know where she is, but it's an awesome thing what God did in Claire's life. Excited for her. Um, so this morning, um, today is, is Palm Sunday. Um, I don't know if you heard about um, a little boy who woke up in the morning, he was sick, and um, his parents um, had, to go to, had to go to church, and so they got the neighbor lady to come over, and she sat with them, and they went to church, and they came back. It was Palm Sunday, and they came back, and they had all these palm branches, and the, <clears throat> the little boy said, why do you have all those branches? And he said, well, when Jesus walked in the city, they put palm branches, um, well, when Jesus walked in, they put palm branches over him, and he said, I knew it. The one Sunday I didn't go to church, Jesus showed up, right? So, uh, it's bad. Is that bad, Matt? Yeah, it's kind of bad. So, it's a bad joke. So, think, yeah, Jesus already showed up. Hopefully, he doesn't leave now. So, um, so this morning in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, we're, we're going to explore one first truth there, and then we'll turn to Romans 6. Um, but John 8.86, just listen. It says, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We have a personal freedom that if we are in Jesus Christ, that we are free. Now, last week, what we talked about was a freedom that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. And that freedom that we have because of what Jesus has done is a, really our legal standing with God. 
And the legal standing we have is because Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin, a penalty that we could not pay ourselves. And Jesus, so Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and not only did he pay the penalty, but he removed our sin. And so now standing before God, we are justified. We stand pure and perfect and right. And so if you remember from last week, right, I talked about if, if that doesn't get you moving, if it doesn't put pep in your step, gas in the tank, remember this? We talked about that, that what Jesus has done, this is an incredible thing of my legal standing, something that I could not do for myself, Jesus did for me. And so for me, the reason I'm up here preaching today, the reason I do what I do and live the way I do is because I've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And every day I wake up, I have received something I do not deserve. I've been given a standing with God I could not attain on my own. And it causes us who believe to leave in a different way. Our legal standing before God is that we are free, that we are forgiven, and we are right. If you have repented of your sins and turned to faith in Jesus, you have had your sins paid for and they have been removed and Jesus Christ, right, his blood covers all your sin. That's the truth. So we talked about last week. But there's a present reality that sometimes tangles with that truth. And the present reality is, I don't know if you've noticed this, I have, sin is still around us in this world. There's this still entangling thing that sin has in our life. Anybody struggled with sin this week? Raise your hand. I, a couple of you didn't. Liars, right? Like, <laughs> like I mean, we, we've all struggled with sin. And even at levels we don't understand, which we'll get into today. Now, that isn't to say that sin isn't this thing that God wants gone in our life. But there is a present reality of a struggle that we have in this world and in our lives so there's, there's this freedom, a current freedom, that he wants us to increasingly move into with our lives. So again, we have been saved by the power of God from the penalty of sin and are loved and accepted because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. And because of his work, we are now his beloved children. We have been justified. We have been made right. Our debt is paid, gone through Jesus. But there is an inward work of the Spirit that God is doing in believers' hearts in the realm of their affections today. And this work that he's doing is to grow in a greater love for Jesus and a greater disdain for sin. It's growing more in love of him and his ways and pushing away more and more of those things that entangle us and dishonor the one who redeemed us. Sanctification is the word that we use for this. And sanctification happens as the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God press deeply into our hearts as we live our lives for Jesus. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 reads, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So in this text, what we see is that we are being saved by the power of the gospel. So last week we said that we have been, right? It's a legal, final thing. One day when I see Jesus, the work of that will be completed. But there is this work currently that he is doing. And just so you know, 
just so you know what I think about this text and this sermon, I think this is where many times we want to point back to the time in which we came to know Jesus. We want to look forward to the time when we will be with Jesus, but we often don't know what to do with the in-between. Anybody with me on this? And this is really about what God wants to do with us in the in-between, which is called our lives, right? Which is kind of an important thing to think about. So we are being saved by the power of gospel presently. So the text, he says, the gospel I preached to you. This is the fullness of the truth. The gospel that Paul preached was the gospel of, of that, that there is a remedy for our sin, that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a perfect life, he humbled himself, he stepped down, he was arrested, he was crucified, he was buried, and he was resurrected from the grave. That there was good news that your sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. So the fullness of, so this gospel I preach to you, this fullness of the truth, the good news, says which you received, meaning that you took it on to yourself. The word in the, the Greek, I don't do this very often, is paralumbano. This is a word that has this deeper meaning than just received. It, it has this kind of idea to, to take over your life, to take on to yourself. And so this gospel you received, it wasn't just that you heard it, right? When my wife says, hey, Ryan, can you please take out the trash, Right? If, if I receive that message, right, I grab the garbage and I take it out. I take it upon myself. So it's not just that you heard the good news, that you agreed with it, but you said, yes, this is, this is mine, that, that I've received this message, that there was one who came and died for me on the cross. So these are, to believers, this gospel I preached to you, which you received, you took on to yourself, it took over your life, and in which you stand, a present place in which you rest in your life. The place, the gospel, is this, this standing that I have right now. And then it says, by which you are being saved. Meaning that there is a present work of the gospel happening today in your life. That God is doing a current work inside of you to make you more like Jesus. And then he says, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless, unless you believed in vain. If you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. It almost like resonates to Jesus' teaching on, <clears throat> on the sower, who would sow in some places and that would grow up fast and get scorched. And, but the, the, the seed that fell on the fertile soil, it grew up and it bore fruit. And what it's saying in this text is just because you've said something or confessed something, that really, as you live your life, the fruit will be seen of what you really believe and what you've really followed. So he says in this text, what, what he's saying is that, that we are being saved by the power of the gospel. So how it works like this, um, maybe help us understand. So growing up, I had three older brothers, and we would play this game, and we had two walnut trees up by the house, and <clears throat> we all played sports a lot. My brother Mark was huge into anything athletic, and so... We, had, we played this football game. And so what it, what it worked like typically is my three, eight years older than me, five years older than me, three years older than me, they would stand up by the walnut trees and then they would punt the football to me. And I would catch the football. And my, it was, it was a punt return drill, right? And it was the three of them versus me. And so what happened was they would, they would tackle me, right? And we would do this over and over, and then they would do these things, because 
still not very smart, wasn't then either, they would say things like, oh man, you almost had it. Like, oh, if you would have just turned here, you would have had it. And then we'd go do it again, and boom, I'd get hit. And do it again, and get hit. And then finally, I'd get mad, right? And I'd get mad, and then they would laugh at me while I tried to beat them up. That was kind of how that worked. (laughs) And then my mother would come out, because my dad was probably busy doing something. My mother would come out, and she would grab us, and she would send us into the house, and we'd have to go to our rooms, and she would go into each of our rooms, and she would try to you know, investigate who had done what and what had really happened, and we're all blaming each other. And then, then she would finally, and this is typical of my mom, she was very tenderhearted, she would cry. She'd be like, you know, I hate it when you boys treat each other like this. I just, you're never going to love each other like each other. And she'd go through like, she was thinking about when we were like 30, not when we were like 10. So it's my mom. And then inevitably, this moment would come where we would have to stand face to face. She would get us, and she would say, you need to tell your brother sorry. And so immediately you would say, what? Sorry, right? And she was like, you didn't mean it, right? (laughs) You didn't didn't mean it. And so then you kind of had to do this, like she would tell you again why you did what was bad and and why you should be sorry, and then you would would fake it, right? You would go, I'm so sorry, Steve. I should have done that to you. I'll never do it again. And Steve's like, I forgive you. Then we go upstairs. I'm like, I'm going to kill you. Right? That, that's, what, <laughs> that's how that, that actually worked. So then I become a father, right? And you have this moment where the, you have your kids standing face to face, and there's disingenuine <laughs> things going on. And, and then I say, you didn't really mean it. In that moment, I'm like, oh, my mother. How did this happen in my life? Then I'm like, just, it doesn't even matter. I got to deal with me right now. So, um, and so, so this is like, right, this is how forgiveness and, but, but there's, a, there's, a de- there's a deeper reality in that, and there's this huge truth in it, I think, for us. It's that what, what is so bad about disingenuinely saying that is because I, I, was, I was willing to do what was being asked, but kind of the why underneath I needed to ask my brother forgiveness, I didn't understand, and I didn't live in the why, I just did the what. And for many times, people in the faith can live in the same way. We do the things, the what's, of the Christian faith. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible, I pray, and we check, 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 check. All the things off, but we can move into those things and do them in a very disingenuous way. We don't do them because of, out out of a heart of gratitude. We don't do it out of a heart of reasoning. We just do it simply because that's what we do. See, I would propose to you, I think the why is the more important thing of what we do. The why. The why of that I, saying it this morning, I was the one who nailed his hands to the cross. See, the reality of me as a man, you as a man, as a woman in the room today, is see, you, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. From the very beginning, each and every one of us, I'm gonna, I'll show you in one year a little sinner that we're going to have soon, Right? It's born in us. It's innate to us. We are born into this world, into sin. 
and it is our very nature. And we have a love for self and a love for everything else but God. But when we turn our life to Jesus, what we realize is that someone loved us deeply. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to die for us. And I was the one. My sin, your sin, our sin, drove the nails. Our sin caused Jesus Christ to be mocked and crucified for us. So why? Why read your Bible? Why pray? Why come here? Why stand up and preach? Why do any of it? Because what Jesus did for me. There's only one answer, and it's the most simple answer. It's the Sunday school answer. It's because of Jesus. And if we ever think that we grow up past the why, we miss it. And I, you know, I, I, I don't even know. If, this would be the one truth that if I could just like beg you to listen to me on, I would. Because I think it is at this very point, if we miss this, we miss everything. Because what we end up doing is we move into this world of behavior modification. I'm a Christian, so I ought to behave like this. And so what I do is I move into thou shalt and thou shalt not. Thou shalt, and every one of us has them. They're different for everybody. Thou shalt go to church on Sunday. Thou shalt not say bad words. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do these things, and we live in the thou shalts, we live in the what's, rather than the why's. So, for me, as a parent, if I raise my kids, and I say, <clears throat> you treat people nice, because us Johnstons, we are Christians, and we treat people like this, and I reprimand my kids every time they don't, I try to get them to behave and act right all the time, that's all that I'm doing, and I never try to motivate their hearts and to shape their hearts into the deeper whys of, of why we tell the truth and of why we love others, why we do this thing called following Jesus. They never will. And that's clear, isn't it? Right? Are you with me? Now you're headed with me. Oh, that's, it's clear. But so much of our Christian life, we move into this behavior modification. Now, don't hear me saying there's not things that God has clearly said that we should do, and there's clearly things that we should not do. But see, the Christian life is about my affections being grabbed by one who bled and died for me on the cross. And because of what he has done, now instead of behavior modification, I'm moving into this whole other realm of gospel transformation that I'm setting my eyes on Jesus and I'm seeking him, that I'm fixing my eyes upon him, I'm, I'm beholding him with my life, and as I do, I'm overwhelmed that a man died on the cross for me and paid the penalty for my sins, and in response, I'm going to die to myself as he died, and I'm going to live increasingly for him because I love him. So why? I'll tell you my why, and although I'm not perfect in my why, I do it because I love him. And if we miss it at this point, sanctification really isn't going to happen in our life. We will look right, we can act the part, we can do all kinds of things. But at the deep level of heart transformation of why, 
but standing nose to nose with your brother and finally with genuine saying, I'm sorry. If we only do the what and never figure out the why, it doesn't really matter what we do. So underneath this, we are, we are being saved by the power of the gospel. We're being saved because we have a new motivation to live and to act and behave in this world in a way that honors our King. So if you will, turn with me to Romans 6, 5 through 11. It'll be on the screens also. Romans 6, 5 through 11. In Romans 6, 5 through 11, Paul's going to kind of go deeper into this, this whole concept of sanctification. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has a dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the second thing that we see is not only we're being saved by the power of the gospel, we are being saved from the power of sin today. It's a present work that is happening today, that we are being saved from the power of sin today in our lives. It says, for, for we have been united with him, that we have been united with him. So in Jesus, when we have given our life to him, we have a, a unity that we now coexist together. He and... Um, <clears throat> He and me and I and him. And we, we've been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly be united in a resurrection like his. Claire, when she was baptized, like she just, she, she, she displayed a, a death in burial and a resurrection and newness of life. In Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. Our old self was crucified with him, it says in the text, in order that the body of sin, so in this, so now that I have new life in Jesus, what, what does he want to do? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, to get done with sin, reigning and ruling over my heart and my life. God wants to deal with sin in us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him, so that we would no longer be enslaved. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus, when he died on the cross, was resurrected. He did not sin. But see, sin was in, in the presence of him as he walked and he was tempted and tried on earth. When he resurrected from the dead, he was free from sin. He paid the penalty. It was over. And now for us, we no longer have to live in the sin in which we once did, but we can be set free of it through Jesus as he was. Now, if we have died with Christ, and hello, just saying in this room, have you died with Christ? Have you reckoned your life that it is no longer mine, but it is his? So, you know, that's kind of the baseline of what it means to be a Christian, saying that, that it is Ryan Johnston no longer who lives, 
but Christ Jesus who lives in me. This isn't like for good, like really good Christians do that. This is kind of this, this thing that this is the Christian life. It is recognizing that I no longer live, but now Jesus Christ lives in me. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. I have a hope beyond this world in the struggle of it all that one day I will be with him forever. Sin operates at this level, at the, at the root of our attitudes, of our beliefs, of our hang-ups, of our values. And then out of those things pops sin in our life. And so, so underneath all these things, in the normal of every day, we have attitudes, we have a posture, we have a, a hiding. And because people used to treat me like this, now I'm going to be self-protecting and I'm going to treat people like this. And so when we respond in anger, when we respond to these things, it's not just the anger. I mean, the anger was the sin. But underneath there, there was something deeper going on in our hearts. There was a deeper thing of hiding, of unwilling to be vulnerable, of unwilling to connect with others because of this. And so now I have this train wreck of relationships around my life in which I don't love my neighbor as myself because I have something deeper that's going on in my life, in my heart. We do it with our beliefs, the way we believe life is ordered and the way things ought to be. And so when someone doesn't do something the way that I think life should be done, I'm like, guy's so stupid, right? Why would they do that? And I begin to devalue people and I don't honor people because I have this belief system in which I think the world and the way I think everything should go and we're not just talking about the Christian faith and, and other little things. And then my actions, my attitudes come out of that, right? Something else. So maybe even, even values, principles, things we treasure most. So maybe a value system of my life or, or any of our lives might be me, right? Like I am the center of the world. And because I'm the center of the world, as soon as I'm not happy in my marriage, I'm going to go find someone that I will be happy with. And so my value system leads me to infidelity, to divorce, and to sin. My hang-ups, my pet peeves, these deeper things that are going on in our lives lead us into, they're the roots of our sin. And there, there's this, this grip on our lives. We have to begin to engage at a deeper level. If we want to be saved from the power of sin today, it's not just it's not just simply, again, this kind of behavior modification. Well, I'm acting this way, so I need to act this way. I do this sin, so I shouldn't do this sin. There's something deeper going on. We need to begin to ask. I'm going to give you three questions, maybe, that help. So maybe the question is, what's inside of you that's holding you back? What's inside of you that's holding you back? What is this recurring, habitual sin in your life that you can be freed from the power of it, yet you hold on to it? What is it that's happening in your heart and your life that holds you there? Maybe other questions is maybe what, what changes need to take place in how you think, your beliefs and your attitudes and your hang-ups and your values in order for you to be freed from the power of sin to live for Jesus? Or maybe how do you need to think and act differently to accomplish the life you desire in Christ? What are your values? What are your things that you are, you are holding to that you need to let go of? See, because the reality is what this text says is in order that the body of sin, right, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
that in Jesus Christ, because of what he has done, having our affections now toward him, desiring to live for him, now I, I want to deal with these issues of sin in my life, not just at the action surface level, but at the deep level of my heart, is what is going on inside of me that causes me? What, what am I not believing about God? Why am I so controlling? Am I, do I not believe that God is all-powerful and in control and able to handle situations? Or do I feel like I have to become God and take over and take control? What are the things that are going on inside of me that are disbelieving the truths about his goodness and his patience and his kindness and his gentleness? Asking deeper questions because we no longer have to be enslaved to sin. We are children of God. We are free to laugh and cry and console and be vulnerable, to enjoy life, to love Jesus, to smile at others, to come alongside of others. Because, see, my legal standing with God is I am free. My sin is gone. My debt has been paid. I can't be more right with God today than I will be tomorrow. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are in him, you are redeemed, and you are free. But will that press into the reality of today and help you move forward in dealing with this issue of sin in our life that goes to the depths of who we are because we, we are sinners who sin. And in this body of flesh, we are always going to be dealing with our father's Adam's choice to sin against God. And it will always entangle us. But what it says in the text, it says that he wants to bring it to nothing. That we might not sin against God and we might live for him forever. It's at the level of desire of how I want to honor him and glorify him. And last and third, <clears throat> we are being saved for the purpose of bringing God glory. So we've been saved by the power of the gospel. It's the roots, it's the foundation because of that, now he is freeing us from the power of sin that entangles us. And what he wants to do, and the reason now we want to be freed from the power of sin, so we can live for the purpose he made us, to bring him glory in everything we do. We are being saved for the purpose of bringing God glory with our lives. The text says, we know that that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Reign, de <clears throat> death no longer has reign and rule over him. He has, he has defeated death. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but guess what happened to Lazarus? He's not walking around today. He died again, right? Jesus is the only one who, who was resurrected, who defeated death and ascended to on high not suffering a second death and we will not either we will die a death on this earth and then we will be with him forever those who do not die in jesus will not only die on this earth but will have a second death after <clears throat> they leave this world and it will be an eternal separation from god so we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Die again. Death no longer has dominion over him and, and no longer reigns and rules over him. <clears throat> for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, and here, just hear this, he lives to God. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you also must consider, you can say it like this, the life you live, you live to God. For him and for his glory, 
when we wake up and when we lie down, that I'm desiring to live my life in obedience to God, glorifying him and worshiping him because of what he has done for me. See, it is the power of the gospel that saves us. We can be rescued increasingly from the power of sin in our life, and we, can, we, we live now for the purposes of bringing him glory. So we have been saved from our sin for the purposes of bringing God glory. So if you're sitting in the room today and you wonder, what's my purpose in life? Well, this text tells us. Our purpose is to give God glory in all that we do. Why? Because we love him. This morning, maybe where you find yourself, young, old, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sins and turned to faith to him. Are you at a place where your why, you do what you do, is centered on the Lord? It's in a way that honors him and glorifies him. Do you stand nose to nose like I did with my brother and just say the right things and do what you're told? Or do you do it simply because out of a genuine heart, Jesus, I truly love you. This is Holy Week we're moving into. Good Friday, this Friday we'll have services here at six. Just so you know, my favorite service of the whole year is what we do on Good Friday. It's, it's a concert of prayer. It's going to be really great. This week, we'll press in to the cross and to the road Jesus marked to the cross to die for us. Next Sunday, we're going to get pretty excited up in here because Jesus rose from the dead, and we're going to celebrate that. Three services, 8, 9, and 10.30. But today, today, are you in a place where genuinely in your heart, you're overwhelmed that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. And what he did for you, is it your why? No one can define that for you. Only you can. Is he your why? Why do you love, why do you love your kids? Why do you love your mom? Why do you love your dad? Why do you love your siblings? Why do you love your neighbor? Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you, why do you live? I'm not saying I always get it right, but I'll tell you for me, I love him. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed that he would love me as he has. So the reason I preach, the reason I attempt to not say bad things to my wife, right? The reason I try to honor her and love my kids and shepherd their hearts and do all those things that I try to do in my life. Love my mom and dad. Somebody told me I'm in the peanut butter generation, right? Take care of my kids. I take care of my parents, right? I'm in this. I'm stuck in between keeping everything together. Some of you, it's true, like, right? That's what we do. The reason I do what I do is I love Jesus because he died for me. Anybody got an amen? amen. But maybe today as we pray and as we sing in your life today, maybe there's some things you need to you need to deal with. Maybe you're not fighting sin and you're letting it grab a hold of you. Maybe this morning you need to repent and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for, for neglecting my why. Forgive me for not, not putting to death this body of sin and being transformed to look more and more like you.
And maybe for you today, you've never given your life to Jesus. And today you'd simply say, Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned and rebelled against you. And I deserve death and judgment. But, but I, I want you to save me today. And I'll tell you, if you pray that to him today, he will save you today and he will set you free and you'll have a legal standing of freed and paid in full. And the rest of your life, it can motivate you to honor him and glorify him with every breath you take. Let's pray together. Father, <clears throat> Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the cross. And Lord, we ask, we pray, today that you would help us to never take our eyes off of you. But Lord, the reason why we do all that we do, Lord, it would be for you, for your name, for your fame, for your glory. Not for our names, not for our glory, but for you and you alone. And so Lord, we, we thank you Thank you for your word and for your truth. And so for the person today in this room that hasn't been pressing into you, that, that knows you, that has been redeemed by you, Lord, I pray you'd give them strength today to repent where needed, to place faith where needed. But for all of us, Lord, that have committed our lives to you, to, to consecrate our lives freshly to you today, committing our lives to live for you, and for your glory. Lord, for those that don't know you, Lord, today I pray that you would redeem them, that you would set them free as your children. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the cross, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing, and as we sing, these altars are open. They're open for you to come and to pray, and I hope whatever God has said in the, in, through his word today that we can Commit to him now as we sing.